Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. We are back for another episode of Blitzcast, and we have a guest who is waiting to come on with us right now. He is a 2021 NFL Draft prospect and UAB cornerback, Bronte Harris. He joins us right now. Bronte, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Happy to be introduced by you guys and be on the show. Bronte, you played some basketball at Alabama A&M before you transferred to UAB to, to play football. How did UAB come into the picture? Tell us about taking this unusual path to get on the football field. Okay, so uh, coming out of high school, um, I really didn't know which sport I wanted to play. And at the time, UAB was recruiting me like as a junior, but at the time, their program got shut down. So whenever I was coming out of high school, they didn't have a program. And I kind of went with my biggest offer, which was Alabama A&M, to play basketball. So I got there, and I started training with the team, and I got redshirted, you know, had to watch the games and, you know, be a redshirt freshman. I really wasn't feeling my heart in it, um, in basketball. Like, you know, once you're kind of away from what you love to do, you start to miss it and start to, like, realize what you really love. And that's kind of how it happened with me. And it kind of was perfect timing because UAB's program was being reinstated, like, that following year so it was just like a thing where I had to you know think it through pray about it talk to my parents and you know they kind of weren't really like all for it at first because I was on scholarship out of them A&M and I would be walking on at UAB it was kind of like take a risk type thing and you know luckily it paid off are you the best basketball player on the the team at UAB Yes, every year I've been here, I've been the best basketball player on the team. We play at the rec uh, in the spring, times we have off. Uh, I would say freshman year was probably, you know, the biggest debate. But ever since then, that 2017 year, um, it's been no no question who's been the best on the team. How does having that basketball background help you on the football field? Um, It helps a lot, especially at my position, a uh, corner play press man a lot here at UAB so you know just stand in front of someone like starting off you know starting off down in front of someone trying to cut them off and stop them from where they're going that kind of relates to basketball and basketball really helped my footwork and like my ability to stay square Uh, my cornerback coach here he says that a lot he's like you're the only one here that played division one basketball too so like you should be able to move and do these movements, you know, efficiently. And I feel like basketball helped us. It helps a lot in my position, you know, a lateral movement, you know, stand square and uh, stand in front of my opponent. How has being a three-year starter helped you get ready for this point? I think it's helped a lot, you know, from the first year I started, 2018, just kind of overcoming that, you know, getting comfortable becoming a leader both mentally, physically, and as well as, like, by example, you know, showing guys, you know, how to how to play the game with passion and love. Um, it's really helped a lot, you know, over the last year, you know, getting out there, being a leader on the field this year has really helped kind of engrave me into, like, what I needed for the next level, uh, being that guy, you know, leading the team, by example, uh, 
on and off the field is is really prepped me um just being in that spotlight for three years and interviewing and things like that to you know take on this next step next journey I have what is your biggest strength as a player either my technique or my IQ of the game like knowledge of the game is my two biggest strengths just because you know technique always wins you know you'll get tired out there everyone gets tired everyone start hurting everyone will you know just start feeling human things like human traits I feel like technique is always a way to win regardless you know you don't have to be the strongest you don't have to be the fastest but if you focus on the technique and perfecting your craft you'll win, you know, 99% of the time just off that. As far as IQ, uh, I study a lot, film study. You know, I watch a lot of corners and try to take things from their game. Um, But the main thing is film study for me, you know, just going out there and having things you already have in your head of what you can expect from your opponent or if he lines up like this, you know, you're expecting this route. You know, just small things like that that I take from the weekend practice all the way up into the game, that really helps your game a lot. You know, a lot of people don't really focus on that, and they want to go out and play off talent and, you know, God-given ability. But the IQ part of the game is really a part that will help you stand out. Who's a cornerback that you watch a lot of film on? I would watch the most film on probably Darius Williams. He plays for the Rams. Either him and or Jalen Ramsey. I mean, they're on the same team. They start on the same team. So I like to watch them. Uh, Darius, just because that IQ part, like I was saying, um, he really taught me, you know, how to watch film, how to evaluate, how to get little small points and details that'll, you know, help your game on Saturday and Sunday. As far as Jalen, his confidence that he portrays is one thing that I try to model my game after just because, you know, as a corner, you're out there one-on-one a lot, you know, and it, it could look like a, a huge field. It could look like an ocean sometimes. And you want to portray confidence. You want to let the receiver know that you're not worried about what he's about to do. Like, you're, you know, you're confident. You trust your work ethic and your abilities that you have. So those are two players um, that I watch the most and probably try to model my game after. Bronte, you missed the entire 2019 season with the foot injury how did that injury challenge you mentally as an athlete and what did you find out about yourself during the recovery process um it challenged me mentally in a lot of ways you know I never had a foot injury or a severe injury before never had surgery before playing football and all these sports you know in my life just having that injury you know having to sit out and be away from the game not be there for my teammates physically like I wanted to be and play and, you know, all those good things, travel with the team and stuff. So, you know, it challenged me a lot, Um, put me through depression. I mean, it was real. Like I couldn't drive, couldn't walk, couldn't do a lot of things I was used to doing normally. So um, it really challenged me. You know, I really focused on, you know, my relationship with God. And I knew like he was the only one that could help pull me out of it. I kind of went through that phase, you know, I prayed a lot and started shifting my focus on training and my therapy and stuff to get back on the field. But throughout that process, I grew a lot. You know, I had to learn patience, um, learned a lot about other teammates on the team, other coaches. You know, I was talking to more people that I normally wouldn't be 
talking to and, you know, spending a lot of time with being a starter on the team. It was good. You know, I got to grow. I got to learn. I got to evaluate um, the game from a sideline standpoint, which really helped me back on the field, you know, just with small things, seeing a lot of things I, I couldn't see on the field, playing my positions. It really helped me grow, but it also challenged me as well. But, you know, I'm proud of it and proud to have experienced it and went through it. Well, it certainly made you stronger. I'm sure you're you're a better man and a better player for it just to, to exactly. go through something exactly. like that. Where are you currently training for the NFL draft? And tell us about your daily routine, your daily workouts. Um, right now I'm actually training in uh, Birmingham with the trainer Kevin Brown. He has a facility called Extreme Fitness. And um, they train a lot of guys, you know, from the city of Birmingham that are in the NFL, that went to Alabama, uh, Deron Kings, one, uh, Shaq Lawson, a few guys. Ha-Ha Clinton Dix has been through here. So, you know, he really knows what he's doing. But, uh, you know, I get up, I go work out with him. We do everything from stretching to um, weightlifting to speed work to DB skill work and then kind of do a little recovery stuff after, you know, they have training room tables and things in there set up for us to, you know, recover. But after that, you know, I come home and I, I do interviews. Or I, I um, work on different projects with my marketing teams, you know, trying to you know, get my name out there and focus on that aspect as well as training every day and eating right and things of that nature. How did you get the number one? Is there a special recognition within your team that comes with that number? kind of like a leadership number type deal here you know you got to go in there and talk to coach Clark he'll kind of you know tell you all the responsibilities that come with it and then you know you'll get it if he believes in you and believes in your abilities and things like that but um I wouldn't say it's it's on like some uh LSU number seven type thing but you know it's it's a respectable number it's an honor to wear it I feel like you're you have to be trusted by Coach Clark for sure to wear it. So, I mean, it's an honorable number, I would say for sure. Are you a better fit on the outside or in the slot at the next level? Um, I think at the next level, I would probably play um inside more of the slot. Um, not saying I'm not capable of playing outside because I've been playing it for a while now. Just with my abilities, I think it'll it'll give me the ability to be more versatile, kind of help in the run because I like to tackle a lot as a corner. Um, it'll help me um, with my knowledge of the game, being able to drop under different routes, you no know, different route combinations, and being able to kind of get an idea of what's going on. It'll also help me in my man as well because most of the time in the slot, you know, you'll have safety help or something so I can, you know, gamble a little bit more and help me play a little more freely. So I feel like the slide, it'll be a, a good position for me at the next level just because it requires a little bit more thinking and I feel like that suits me. What roles can you play on special teams? Special teams, I could play a variety of roles. Uh, I know here I played the safety position on kickoff. It's kind of like a trusted position as well because it's the last line of defense. So we kind of jog back and wait to see if anything bursts. And if we do, then we, we're the ones responsible for making a tackle. So I would say that one, uh, I could play gunner as well, you know, run down and tackle on punt team. 
Also, I play the corner position on punt return team. So, so that's kind of like corner where you, you're guarding the gun or trying to stop them from tackling the return, man. So I'm very versatile on special teams. Like I said, um, I pick up on things easy. So, you know, whatever position I'm found in, I'll, I'll be able to thrive at it. NFL draft prospect and UAB cornerback Bronte Harris is here with us. Your team had a very successful secondary the past couple of years with DeJon Turner, TD Marshall, Will Bowler, and obviously you. How did those guys make you a better player? Well, I think the main thing about us that makes us good on the field is that we have a good relationship off the field. Um, It just kind of makes things easier because we're – literally like brothers off the field. I mean, everyone you just named, like, we hang out together, we talk uh, together outside of football. So just going on the field and already having that chemistry, already kind of getting the feel and already knowing each other, um, it just helps tremendously going out on the field and being able to execute game plans together and being able to lock in, but also know that, you know, we have each other's back. We We all know that, you know, right across the field is, another brother of ours that has our back. So we're able to play out there confidently, not really nervous, not really shaky, but just being our own God knowing we have each other's back. So I feel like we all bring something different to the table as well. You know, that all kind of accommodates each other when we're out there on the field. How much of a challenge was it to cover wide receiver Austin Watkins Jr.? Did it get really competitive between the two of you during practice? I would say so. I mean... Me and Austin have been going at it for this past season was our third year straight. Um, when he came in, he was on the scout team and stuff like that, so we really worked hard, like, when he came in. But since he's been that guy, man, it's been it's been good competition, uh, very, very competitive on both ends. Uh, spring ball, fall camp, I'm following him around. Like, we're going at each other every rep, but – Ultimately, it's only made us better, but um, one-on-ones and everything like that, it gets competitive. It gets real competitive. Um, sometimes we go at it, but we know we're, we're brothers at the end of the day. We have a good relationship. So I think it's really just made us both a lot better. Um, at the same time, gave us great work on both ends. What was it like to beat Marshall in the Conference USA Championship game? It was bittersweet. Um, just knowing that season, how weird the season was going through it with COVID and not knowing if we're going to play, not knowing we're going to be able to be in the championship because we ended up having like four games canceled back to back. So it was like, it was a real faith test for us, I would say, just because like we didn't know and we couldn't control, you know, what was next. We could only control what we could control, which was, you know, playing the games that were scheduled. So just going out there and going on the road and freezing weather and being able to come out with a win, it, it was just, you know, like I said, bittersweet. Especially this second time, you know, I have one in 2018, but in 2020, you know, senior year, finishing it off the right way, uh, especially after missing the season, it just, it just all felt like a dream. It was bittersweet and it was a great feeling. Let's look at the bigger picture. Obviously, UAB shut down its program in December of 2014. Then football resumed play in 2017. What does it mean for for the coaching staff, for the players, to win the Conference USA title two out of the last three years? Man, it means a lot, you know, 
since the program first got reinstated, Coach Clark has been preaching, you know, hard work, discipline, and togetherness will, you know, pay off eventually. And when we're in the off season, when we're, you know, at practice during the season, he's preaching those same things. And, you know, just to see all that hard work pay off, all those early mornings, late nights, you know, finally pay off with, with championships. And, you know, we're blessed to be able to, like you said, win two out of the last three, but compete for three out of the last three. Like I said, it just shows a lot about our coaching staff and how well put together things are, as well as, you know, how hard work and dedication and actually bind into something together, you know, will really reward you and really pay off. It's, it's been amazing. Well, Bronte, thank you for being with us. Uh, good luck at your pro day, and uh, all the best to you. All right, man. Appreciate y'all. Thank y'all for y'all's time. All right. Last week, we talked about running backs in the 2021 NFL Draft. This week, we're going to be focusing on the defensive side of the ball, and we're going to be talking about cornerbacks. And Ed, once again, will unveil his top 10. He will tell us who he likes, who he doesn't like, who he thinks is overrated. He's going to give us a couple of sleepers. He he has been in his basement breaking down this film day and night. I mean, he's been working harder than than a GM, right? Ed? I have. I have. I mean, I didn't have a weekend this week. I, you know, when everyone was watching the impeachment, I was, uh, I was hitting the film. So don't ask me about politics, but you know, ask me about this cornerback class. All right. So let's start with the list. Once again, let's go from 10 to number one. You will give us your guys, why you like them, why you have them in the top 10. And then I'll just add my two cents in there. My number 10 is uh, Trey Brown. He's a cornerback from uh, Oklahoma, uh, you know, senior guy. He's about 5'10", 186, um, played all four years at Oklahoma. Um, you know, he had a good week of practice at the Senior Bowl. Um, I think he, he's kind of a slot guy in the NFL. Um, what I like about him is he stays in phase and coverage well. I think he has good physicality at the line of scrimmage. There are some weaknesses to his game. He needs to get off blocks better in the run game. Um, he can sometimes lock arms with receivers, needs to avoid those holding calls. Um, sometimes opens up his hips too early when the play is actually a run. Uh, maybe a little bit of eye discipline. I, I think Trey Brown is a legitimate um, you know, option as kind of your slot guy. Maybe he plays kind of more of that role. One of the fastest cornerbacks in this draft. I mean, this guy is legitimately going to run like a 4-3 at his pro day. It's unfortunate we weren't able to see him at a setting like the combine because we would have been talking about him being one of the faster and more athletic guys out there not a big guy but he certainly brings a a ton to the table and he's been in a lot of big games at oklahoma so number nine i got eric stokes quarterback from georgia there i'm not as high on him um you know he's a junior uh six one one eighty five uh three-year starter three-star recruit I really liked his pass rushing. I, I had to mention that. Um, he's kind of a guy who gives some cushion and man coverage. Um, he's a decent tackler, decent physicality and coverage. Maybe needs to get off blocks better in the run game. But, uh, yeah, Eric Stokes, um, a Georgia guy. He's the, kind of the number two corner for the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with him number nine. Why do you have him a lot lower than some other folks out there, including myself? 
I believe I have Stokes in my top six because I think he has a lot of potential. Another guy that has great speed, good athleticism, made a lot of big plays in some big games out there, came up with some key interceptions and and showed good ball skills this year. Why are you lower on him? I mean, it can't just be about not a physical presence against the run. You know, I remember when I was uh, in the freshman basketball team and they said, you know, I want you on that guy like white on rice. I, I, I really think that's really what you want in a corner. That's that's really what I look for in corners is guys who can really stay in phase and uh, be like that. I think he's kind of more of a cushion guy. Um, and if he had a really high interception total, then I would really understand. But um, I don't like too much cushion. All right, fair enough. You love those guys that that have great mirroring skills. I think anybody that listens to the show knows that Ed is a big fan of those guys that they can stay square to the target. Yeah, that that you got you got it on that. Number number eight, I got Greg Newsom, uh, cornerback from Northwestern. I think I'm a little lower on him than most, but I'm not too lower. He had a lot of injuries in college, and I mean, you know, injury concern is something for me. Um, he's a junior, six one, one ninety. You know, he, he played three years for the Wildcats, so he still got on the field. Uh, he's a good run supporter. Um, I think he hustles to stick his man. I think he's a good tackler. I like his physicality. And I, I'd probably give him, like, third-round man coverage ability. So Greg Newsom is a guy I like in this uh, in this draft. Yeah, number seven. I, I'm definitely lower on this guy than others. Um but I, I do li- I do like him, but I just don't I just don't love him like other corners. There's just other corners in this class. I think this is this is a good underclassman corner class, and you know it was competitive. So J.C. Horn, cornerback from South Carolina. I know you're shocked. I'm downplaying a, a South Carolina corner, but I mean, you know, film don't lie. Four star recruit started all three years. Opens up his hips too early. I think he gives too much cushion and off-man coverage, can be too handsy in coverage. I do think he can be an effective in press coverage, and I think he has good physicality. Yeah, I mean, J.C. Horn, you know, maybe a guy, you know, I would probably pass on. If he's there in the third or fourth round or fifth round or something like that, yeah, i take him off the board. I am shocked. I'm shocked that you're not sticking up for the South Carolina Gamecocks anymore. Down on these guys this year. Usually you're you're pretty high on, on South Carolina. All right, I, I'm going to stick up for J.C. Horn. He's my top corner in this draft. And here's the reason why, and I think you mentioned it. He's a really good press corner, and I think he's a the best press corner that I've evaluated in this draft, just period. When they played against Auburn, he took Seth Williams out of that game. What I liked about him is not the fact that he was just lining up at left cornerback waiting for Seth Williams to line up against him. No, he went against the guy. And you don't see that in college a lot. You see that in the NFL with Jalen Ramsey's and Patrick Peterson. But J.C. Horn already shows that ability. He can line up outside. He can line up in the slot. He'll get physical. Yeah, he does get handsy. But a lot of guys do that that play press corner. I mean, he will get physical. He'll get your hand. He'll get hands on you. He's a shutdown guy. And it wasn't only Seth Williams against Auburn. When I turned on the Florida tape, and when they lined up Kyle Pitts outside, you know who was lining up against him? It was J.C. Horn. And the fact is, he had a good game against him when they lined up against each other. He challenged him, and we know that Kyle Pitts has got like. 
a huge catching radius. He's got large hands. He's athletic. He's long. But J.C. Horham got around, and he knocked a few passes away from him. Like I said, he needs to kind of ease up past those five yards. He does get handsy. But his dad played in the NFL. He played wide receiver. He's got good ball skills, good mirroring skills. It's tougher to teach, you know, being that, that good press corner, being able to, to jam a receiver. He seems to have that to a science. The only thing that hold, that's holding me back from saying J.C. Horn is a top 10 pick in this draft, he's not going to run a fast 40 time. He's not a 4-4 guy. He's about a 4-5 guy. But there's another guy that came out a while ago, Daryl Rivas from Pitt. He, I think he ran a 4-5-4 at the Combine. The Jets drafted him in, in the middle of the first round, and they were happy for the next 10 years. So I can see a team bouncing on him i don't think horn is going to be a top 10 pick but i think he's going to go in the top 15 or top 20 he's just that good and he's got that competitive edge you see that every time there's like a penalty being thrown or something by by a ref he's intense he's physical he's all in the game and i like the fact that he challenges he never backs away from a challenge and always always lines up against the number one receiver whether it's Kyle Pitts, whether it's Seth Williams, and he took those guys out of the game. And that's what makes me think that that J.C. Horn is going to be successful at the next level. He's got those NFL bloodlines. Watch out for this kid. I was thinking top three or top five. I'm just surprised that you said that he's like a third-round pick or a fourth-round pick, like you're fine with selecting him Well, I I think he's definitely going in the first Yeah, I mean, I understand. He's going to be a first-round guy. Someone's going to take him. It's just if I'm a GM, it's not me. You know what I mean? It's just not my guy. And I I did watch a game where he played really good football, and he really did stand out. You know, and I even wrote about him during the season, but I see guys better with better film. Corners get selected high, and a seventh guy on your board is going to go somewhere in the second round. Usually guys that go there like 13th or 14th, those are the guys that go in the fourth round. So J.C. Horn, based on your ranking, is still going to go somewhere in the second round. I'm just So is he one of the more overrated corners for you? You know, though, there, well, you're well, not there's, there's to other go guys that, that are more overrated. Like, I could put him in the overrated category. Uh, there's a guy who you're, you're, it's going to kind of surprise you who I put in the overrated category. So just wait and see. He's not going to run a 4-3. I don't think he's a 4-4 guy. He's going to be in the 4-5s. But I've seen plenty of corners that didn't run a fast time that went somewhere in the 15s or 20s, went on to, to have all-pro careers. And I just think... Horn has got that mentality and that IQ and that awareness. And I think that that's really important. It wasn't only about he recognized situations and he recognized what routes guys were running based on how they lined up. And it was so obvious, like he jumped those routes. So that means he's studying film. He knows who his opponent is. You got to know the the guys that you're facing, what they're bringing out there. And I just think Horn was one of the smarter cornerbacks that I saw in film. So I want to go on, and I really want to talk about this guy at number six, uh, Asante Samuel, cornerback from Florida State. So, I mean, I remember his father, Philadelphia Eagles, New England Patriots, you know, came up in some big moments. He's a junior. He's 5'10", 185. 
Uh, played three years for the Seminoles. He's he's probably my top slot guy, and I I really like how he stays in phase and coverage well. I like his physicality at the line of scrimmage. His agility is excellent. Could have a little less cushion in man coverage. I, I think he's really a guy who stays in phase and coverage really very well. Yeah, I mean, if I'm looking for, for a slot guy, that's my guy in this draft. Yeah, Sante Samuel Jr. is is, is a great player. He really stood out at that for that Florida State team. Uh, there weren't many bright spots on the team in 2020, but he was the guy that, that really stood out. I think he came up with like three or four picks. He's very instinctive. He's got those fluid hips. He's got quick feet. He's good at man coverage. Like you mentioned, his dad was a ball hog in the NFL, and I think his son is in good hands as well. And there's a theme out here. There's there's a few guys uh, that have a lot of NFL bloodlines when it comes to this cornerback class. Uh, he lined up on the outside, but he projects as a slot guy. I have him as a top three corner. So I have J.C. Horn, I have Patrick Sertain, the second, and then I have Asante Samuel. And I could care less that he's a slot guy. Those guys are more valuable in today's NFL. I mean, most teams are are having more defensive backs on the football field. They're having that slot guy out there most of the time, like half of the teams do. That makes that position more valuable in, in today's NFL. So I have Asante Samuel Jr. rated even higher than Ed, but... Um, it seems like you're pretty high on him as well. Yeah, I mean, I just like I just like this this group one through six a lot. You number five, I got Israel Mukuamu, South Carolina guy. I know you're probably surprised that he was my number one, but uh, he's a junior. He's six four two oh five, six four corners. I mean, that that excites me. He there are questions about his speed, but he's still in the four five range. Uh, you know, he's a three star recruit out of high school. Um, played a lot of off-man and coverage and zone in the Gamecocks defense. I think he needs to be sharper about knowing the defense, but he looks good in man coverage. He's disciplined in zone, and he plays not to get beat deep. So this is a versatile guy. I think he's a little overshadowed by J.C. Horn, but I actually I actually put more value on him in his pro career. Well, we'll see. This is what the NFL is looking at nowadays when it comes to corners. They're looking at guys who are long who have huge arms that can just bat the ball away. You don't have to be the most technically sound guy. For a team like the Seattle Seahawks, the San Francisco 49ers, this guy's like a perfect corner for them because of he, he can fit into that defense, play off man, play zone, and, and occupy a, a lot of space. And You're going with the theme that the NFL has been moving towards. I mean, a lot of teams love guys who are big and and can run and uh yeah i mean it's interesting you know i mean a guy who was six one, it was kind of like you know that was a trend with the team and now it's like it's almost like it's the standard to be six one and to play corner in the nfl especially on the outside yeah that's what teams are looking for right now they also have a requisite with with the arm length like the seahawks have a cutoff point 32 inch arms and if they don't have that length like, they don't even look at them. It doesn't matter how good their film is. It's just based on their evaluation. They believe guys that are longer with longer arms are, are going to fit their scheme, and this is what they're looking at. I am surprised that you have them in your top five ahead of J.C. Horn, but your love for the South Carolina Gamecocks has returned. Mm-hmm. So number four, I want to talk about Sean Wade. 
is a cornerback from Ohio State. I think he's an underrated guy. He's 6'1", 195. I think he's a raw player, but I think he has some upside. You know, 4'4 speed, five-star recruit out of high school. He's a good tackler, good run defender, good recovery speed on pick plays, decent instincts in zone, decent physicality, and uh, I really like the way he held his own in the national championship at, at Alabama. This is a guy who's about to turn the corner. Yeah, get him on an NFL roster, and this is going to be a guy who... He really develops into a much better player. I like this guy's upside. All right, so you're going with upside there. Do you see Sean Wade as an outside corner or in the slot? I think he's more of an outside corner. That's kind of where I see him. For me, I I, I kind of keep him on the outside. Here's my problem with Sean Wade. There's no way he's a first-round guy. And based on your ranking as a fourth guy in this, he is a first-round guy. I think he's one of the most overrated corners in this draft, but if you can get him in the third, fourth round, I'm okay with that. I'll I'll take a chance on him. But if we're talking about a first round grade on Sean Wade or even early second round grade, too rich for me. There are too many times on film that I saw Sean Wade get destroyed by more technically sound, more precise route runners. He didn't know what the hell he was doing. I realized that we're betting on his upside and we're saying, all right, he's got the size, he's got the speed, he has some physicality to him, and teams are going to take chances. And I'm not saying Wade is not going to sneak into the first round, but based on the film that I saw in 2020, I mean, he played terrible. I mean, he shouldn't be considered anywhere close to the first or the second round. And I actually like him in the slot because as a sophomore, when he played in the slot, he had better film. As an outside corner, again, he got destroyed by guys who were just more proficient at running routes. He They turned him around. He was nowhere near the ball. He doesn't have good instincts. From a physical standpoint, he's exactly what you're looking for in a corner because the size, athleticism, speed... But as far as his technique goes, it's very, very raw. So we could talk about him as an underrated corner if he goes somewhere in the fourth round, and therefore you're betting on his upside. But if we're talking about a guy that's going to go in the first round or early second round guy, that's too rich for me. So I'm basically taking the same stand you were taking with J.C. Horn. I think he's living off his name. I looked back at the sophomore tape. It was better. But that's when he was playing in the slot. As an outside guy, he just got destroyed. Number three, I ate my words on Twitter. Anyone who wants to uh, call me a flip-flopper, I ate my words and you got me. And uh, yes, uh, there's a podcast in 2019 where I am not very high on Paulson Adebo. That was 2019. I have since gone back to the film and I am now putting him as my number three corner in this draft. All right, why have you changed your mind on uh, Paulson Adebo? Well, I think he's a guy who stays in phase real well in coverage. I think he does get caught trying to anticipate routes, but, you know, pattern reading is sometimes something you have to do in the NFL. Maybe he needs a little more quickness on slant rounds, but I think he has good physicality in coverage. And I just I just think he, you know, he's a very solid uh, outside corner. He's He's got some potential to him. Well, he's got the size and the speed as well. So, I mean, that's that would go a long way. Some people have forgotten about him because he didn't play this season. He opted out of the season and decided to prepare for, for this year's draft. 
he's definitely a name that you should you should be aware of because it seems like we're living in the moment right now. Guys that played this season are the guys that usually people are talking about, but it seems like we're also forgetting about some of the guys that, that opted out of the season, and that's the reason why they're kind of down that, that draft board. All right, this next guy is the guy I'm targeting in the first round, especially if I have a late first-round pick. Underrated guy. He's more of an outside guy. He's a junior, three-year starter. He's 6'2", 185, five-star recruit out of high school. He has great speed. He's excellent in man coverage, good hustle on the blitz, gets off blocks fairly well in the run game, and he has good awareness in zone coverage. I really like Tyson Campbell. This is my draft crush of this cornerback group, and I, I'm going to take him late first round, and I'm going to love my pick. Betting on the upside once again with the guy that has the size, the athleticism, and the speed. Frankly, I think Eric Stokes is a better player. He's not a finished product right now, but you're hoping that he's going to be. But there are plenty of times that I saw him get torched by Alabama and Devontae Smith. It, Alabama picked out Tyson Campbell in that game, and they stayed away from Stokes. And that was pretty obvious. Like, Mac Jones was looking at the side of the field with Tyson Campbell, fairly obvious to me. Mac Jones wasn't looking in the Eric Stokes side because he knew that 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 side would be protected, and there are a few times that they just burned Tyson Campbell. So obviously you see something. You see a guy that, that has a lot of upside and can develop into a very good corner. Right? I do, I do, and I really like him in man coverage. I really like what I saw in man coverage from him. You know, there's just like one play I just want to point out. It was a go route. And he was covering the guy, and he literally stuck with him on the go route. I mean, usually you fall behind as a corner on a go route, but he turned his hips at the right time. He stuck with him throughout it, and he actually shut him down going on a go route. So to be honest with you, that really that really got my juices flowing. That got me excited So about this kid. He's a 4-3 kid with a lot of athleticism and the size. I just don't see the instant. I don't see the instincts or the awareness at this point, but it can be developed. Well, your your number one guy is is not a surprise to anyone. Yeah, and I mean, this is a top 10 worthy uh, cornerback. Um, another guy, dad played in the NFL, four career interceptions. You know, he's 6'2", 200 pounds, a little over 200 pounds. He's a junior. You know, I, I think he's very smart playing in zone. I'm really impressed by the way he anticipates routes. He's very smart pre-snap. He has good physicality, and he can stick his man in man coverage. Um, definitely an outside corner. So Patrick Sertain, you know, from the Alabama Crimson Tide, he's my number one corner. If I'm picking in the top ten and I need a corner, this is my guy. I'll talk about some of his shortcomings. I don't think he has great speed. I think he is a 4-5 guy. I think he is a guy that I saw get beat a few times deep. He was trailing. Uh, the more faster players on those vertical routes, on those goal routes. I also think that he has average ball skills. Like he's trailing the guy. He's right there to make the play, but he doesn't turn around. And that's a problem that I've seen with Alabama corners before. I saw it with Trayvon Diggs last year. He's got to do a better job with that. I think he needs to locate the ball better while it's in the air. And I also want to see how he runs at his pro day. Very interesting. I'm, I'm going to get right to this because there is an obvious name missing from the top 10. And many people have him 
in the top three, top five. So I've seen some people have him as the top corner. He's a guy that opted out of the season also in 2020, and he's a Virginia Tech cornerback, Caleb Farley. So I would assume if you don't have Farley in the top 10, that means he is the guy that you feel is is the most overrated corner in this draft. Yeah, he is my overrated guy. Um, he has a history of injuries. He sat out of 220. It's only a two-year starter. You know, three-star prospect. Um, he was asked to play a lot of zone. Good agility on his feet. I agree with that. But uh, likes to play more off-man than press coverage. But that's the scheme, Ed. I mean, you can't blame him for it, right? I mean, Virginia Tech played more off-man, more zone. That's not his fault. Yeah, I just I don't think his awareness is as good. I think I think it's okay, but it's not great. I mean, they're talking about this guy being like a top ten pick. You know, I just I don't know, and I think he needs to be more physical. To be honest with you, you need to be more physical. So I just assume someone else is going to pick him, and you know, with his history of injuries, I would just you know he 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 just be someone else's problem. Fair enough. I don't think he's going to go top 10, but I think he's going to test through the roof. He's got that size that we've been talking about. He's about 6'2", 205, 210. He's got the athleticism. He's he's going to run in the high 4'3s. A lot of teams are going to be drawn to him. And You're betting on Tyson Campbell, but you're not betting on Caleb Farley because we haven't seen him much in, in press man coverage, but that, that doesn't mean he can't play it. There was one game that really stood out about Farley. It was I think it was the Miami game. The Miami game was his coming out party. There were some other games that I saw him being inconsistent, but if you turn on that, that Miami Hurricanes game in 2019, he was all over the receivers, and he, he showed glimpses of what he could be and why some people are, are really high on him. So do you have any more overrated guys in this draft class? Do you have any more cornerbacks that you feel are overrated? Yeah, I got uh, Aaron Robinson, a uh, cornerback from uh, UCF. Um, he's a senior. He's 6'1", 193. Uh, two-year starter for the Knights. Um, probably more of a 4'5 guy, three-star recruit. Uh, played the slot at UCF. I do think he's a great run defender. Um, but I think he could have better instincts. Um, he's a bit flat-footed in coverage. That was a big problem for me. I think he's a high-risk, high-reward tackler. And I just think he has very average physicality. So to be honest with you, I don't really understand him. I mean, some people have him as a second-round guy. I just I, I don't see it. I think he can play press man. I also saw a guy, he played a lot of slot, but there were times that he lined up outside against the number one receiver. So he's versatile enough to to move around. He is a slot guy at the next level, but I like his size. I like his athleticism. I do realize what you're saying as far as being flat-footed. His mirroring skills are lacking. I mean, he gets beat at the line of scrimmage, and then he's almost like trying to recover, you know, make up ground and... I also have him in the second round. I think he's a solid day two pick. And also surprising you don't have him in the top 10. So let's talk about a few underrated guys. Well, my underrated guys are Sean Wade and Tyson Campbell. Um, we've already talked about them. But I think I think they're both you know guys who are going to grow into the league. They're, they're not finished products. But I, I mean, especially if you can get them on like day two, you know, kind of be sort of more... Uh, you know, part-time players or more, you know, role players, and then bring them along. I think, I think that, I think that could be really a successful pick for your team. 
I want to mention a couple of more guys that weren't in his top 10, but I believe deserve some attention when it comes to this cornerback class. Elijah Molden from Washington, he's a slot corner. Uh, he's a bit hit and miss as a run defender, as a tackler, but I love his instincts. He's a very instinctive player, like a coach on the football field, very aware, always seems to be around the ball. But I think he deserves to be in the top 10. I also like Shakur Brown from Michigan State. He's a versatile guy. He is lined up on the outside. He is lined up in the slot uh, during 2020 season. Smooth backpedal, big hitter, very good mirroring skills. Played a lot of off-man and zone coverage this year, but in 2019, with a different coaching staff, played a lot of press man. Speed is a question mark for me, and I want to see how he runs. I think he's a 4-5 or five guy, and he's going to be a zone corner, but I think Shakur Brown is an instinctive guy as well. And I wanted to mention another guy that opted out of the 2020 season, but made some waves during the Senior Bowl as well. Thomas Graham Jr. He played on the outside. He projects in the slot, but he breaks up a lot of passes. He's very instinctive. Again, very aware. I love his closing speed. He closes in a hurry on those slant routes, on those out routes. Oregon had a great secondary the last couple of years, but a lot of people believe that Javon Holland was the best secondary player there. He's a safety. I think Thomas Graham, hands down, was the best secondary player for the Oregon Ducks and one of the best players in the Pac-12. Another guy I wanted to mention before we uh, move on to some sleepers, Elijah Griffin, a cornerback from USC, um, was one of the top corners as a junior. He's a junior. He came out. He has good length, very good speed. He's a 4-3 guy. He likes to get physical. Needs to gain weight and needs to get stronger. He's about 175 pounds. I think Elijah Griffin is is an interesting guy to, to keep an eye on, and we'll see where he goes. I think he's a day-two pick and uh, certainly, in my opinion, like a top-12 corner in this draft. Any sleepers? Do you have a sleeper for yeah, him? Yeah, um, I want to do Shakur Brown, cornerback from Michigan State. Uh, he's a junior, 5'11", 190. Uh, played all three years, two-year starter. Projects as a slot guy. His speed is in the 4-4-4-5 range. Uh, Three-star recruit out of high school. He's a high-effort tackler. Uh, I think he's decent at staying in phase and main coverage. Decent physicality and coverage. Good eye discipline. And uh, he's strong in run defense. So, um, yeah, this is a late-round guy that I think could be a good slot corner in the league. I actually think he's a day-two guy. I think he's going to go somewhere in the third round. I think Shakur Brown is going to... Surprise a lot of people. Surprised that you didn't have the guy that you interviewed. Yeah, Efatu Milofanwu, the cornerback from Syracuse. Uh, you interviewed him. I just thought that maybe you would have him on this list because he's also a long corner. Very athletic. You know, He's got 4-5 or five speed, probably a zone guy. But um, it was kind of an interesting name here. His brother, older brother, plays in the league. Yeah, I mean, you know, I will say when I interviewed him, I, I liked him. Uh, he's a quiet kid, um, you know, from, from the part of the country that I'm from. I think he, you know, he was a productive player at uh, Syracuse. Pro football focus, you know, has a lot of a lot of positive things to say about what he did in college. I thought he was a good corner in college. Um, you know, he, he may not be in my top 10, but, um, you know, he's definitely a guy I, you know, would think about in the late rounds. 
All right, I'll give you two sleepers that I think we should mention before we get out of here. Uh, Kelvin Joseph, Kentucky corner. He only played for one year. He came out as a redshirt sophomore. He's an LSU transfer. Uh, he started, again, for only one year. He has good ball skills, does a good job in phase coverage. Size, speed, athleticism type of guy. Ed loves Tyson Campbell in the first round from that standpoint. I think Kelvin Joseph in the on day three, like a fifth-round guy, sixth-round guy, that you can develop. He's a bit raw. Again, we're talking about the, the size, speed, athleticism standpoint. Only one year of starting experience. Another guy I wanted to mention didn't have a good year in 2020, but he played in the SEC. He's a Tennessee cornerback, Bryce Thompson. Uh, he played outside, but he projects as a slot corner. Great ball skills, very athletic, good speed, attacks the ball at the highest point, almost like a wide receiver, very instinctive, had some off-the-field issues at Tennessee, and I think that's going to knock his grade down a bit. I'm not sure where his head is at, but as far as on the football field, this guy is a, is a guy that we should keep an eye on. You know, if you're a GM, I mean, how do you how do you approach this cornerback class? I mean, are you are you trying to get a guy in the first round that really changes your team, or you you wait until the mid rounds and you know trying to trying to get that kind of like diamond in the rough, or are you you know are you waiting till day three and really trying to zone in on a sleeper? As far as my philosophy, I think you draft offensive linemen and defensive linemen early. In the first round, you try to build up the trenches, you get your quarterback, and then you can address a position like a cornerback position on day two. I think that's my, my favorite spot. You can get some really talented guys on in the second, third round, but I've never been a big fan of taking cornerbacks in the top 10, top 15. Again, philosophies are different. There are a lot of teams like Bill Belichick or some other ones that like to build up the secondary like to get those cornerbacks, and they, they feel that that's the strength of their team. I'm not one of them. I, I go after the guys they can get after the quarterback. I'm kind of a 49ers type of guy. We have a good defensive line, and I think um, I'm all for John Lynch spending first-round picks on defensive linemen every year because he could never have too many good ones. You know, as far as cornerbacks go, day two, day three for me, I wouldn't spend a, a first-round pick on a cornerback. I think it's a really risky position. If you go back through the years, lots of hits and misses on cornerbacks in the first round. And the analytics, cornerbacks don't work out in your favor in the first round, almost like wide receivers, same thing if we're talking about the offensive side of the ball. Where do you stand on it? Are you opposed at taking cornerbacks in the first round or – are you more of a, a day two, day three guy? I really think you, you try to get them both in, in day two and day three. I mean, I, I agree with your philosophy. I mean, you know, going going for a first-round corner, you know, it's just a very risky position. It's just not a position you can you can predict, you know. I mean, I just it's, it's sometimes there are certain positions where you just know what kind of guy they are. I agree with you. Corner is not is not a, a, an easy position to protect. Going for a guy, you know, trying to build up some, you know, taking some risks on some guys on, you know, the third round or, you know, later on and increase the volume of corners you draft to kind of just build that cornerback room. Let's move on from the cornerbacks. We gave you the the overview of this class. We went really deep with our conversations. Ed 
shared his top 10, talked about who he feels is underrated or overrated, and we had a good conversation. We had a good argument out there because, hey, uh, we were split on J.C. Horn, split on Sean Wade, split on Tyson Campbell. Scouting is in the eye of the beholder. When it came to the cornerback class, Ed and I disagreed quite a bit. The New York Jets have two first-round picks in the 2021 NFL Draft. They hold the second overall pick and the 23rd overall pick. They have a new coaching staff in place, um, Robert Sala, Mike LaFleur coming in, and he brings in that Kyle Shanahan offensive system. So I think the million-dollar question right now is what are the Jets going to do at number two? Should they draft a quarterback, Ed, or should they stick with Sam Darnold? What do you think they will do? Well, I, I think it's it's pretty safe that you're you're going to be able to get Zach Wilson at number two, and that would be what I would do. As far as Sam Darnold, I mean, I would trade him. I would trade him earlier than later. I mean, you know, before before teams kind of build their roster. I mean, you know, if a team is quarterback needy and wants him, I mean, I think you could get some good value for him. I think he's probably a day two kind of pick value. I don't think he's a day one pick value. I think he's a little bit of a bust. And so, you know, you get a day two value and you build up some picks for the Jets. So I, I feel pretty secure in thinking that Zach Wilson be, will be there at number two and I would be really happy to get Zach Wilson as far as you know what I would do with the 23rd pick well we just said this name but you know they need a corner and I would love it if they got a guy like Tyson Campbell late in the first round you add a corner and then you add Zach Wilson you add two guys I like I think that I think that could put the the Jets in the right direction and then you have an extra pick on day two all right, sounds like a good plan. Obviously, uh, Ed and I are in agreement here. I was a big Sam Darnold fan coming out of the draft. I thought he was the number one quarterback. Didn't go to the right place. Adam Gase and, and Sam Darnold weren't a good fit. And I hope he goes to the right team because he can resurrect his career. He didn't get off to a good start, but we saw what Sean McVay did for Jared Goff with the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, they went to the Super Bowl together. He resurrected his career, even though he traded him later and said he was no longer his guy. But for a couple of years, it worked. And I hope he goes to a team like the Indianapolis Colts or maybe my San Francisco 49ers because I think Darnold would be an upgrade over somebody like Jimmy G. And he, he could make it work in that system. I agree. I think you you have a GM that didn't pick Sam Darnold. You have a new coaching staff, and you just need a fresh start. Whatever it is, there's no way that you can go into the 2021 season with the question mark a quarterback. But if you draft a guy with the second overall pick, a rookie quarterback, fans are going to be excited. The organization is going to be rejuvenated, whether it's Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. I think it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, yeah, the, the Jets need a lot of pieces. I mean, you mentioned that they should go cornerback with that 23rd pick, but they also need some defensive pieces as well. They also need some some guys they can get after the quarterback. They need a wide receiver. For God's sake, they need a running back as well because they, they just don't have one. We're in agreement here. They, they have to go quarterback. J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt asked for his release from the Houston Texans, and he got his wish. The Houston Texans are a messy situation right now that I just – don't even want to get into. J.J. Watt obviously is looking for a franchise that's close 
to winning a Super Bowl. So what do you think? I mean, what are a couple of perfect landing spots for uh, J.J.? Well, for me, the, the, the perfect landing spot is Tampa. I mean, the fact that you got Tom Brady coming back, you know, you've got a loaded team. And, you know, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have done an excellent job of having a lot of superstars in that locker room and still gelling together, still having that leadership, still having that leadership from the top from Bruce Arians. I think that, I think Tampa would be best for him. I mean, you could be in the nice weather. Um, you know, they play that 3-4 front. Uh, so I, I I like the idea of uh, of Tampa uh, for him. I mean, one thing he said is he likes Cleveland. Um, the problem with Cleveland is it's a four three difference. So I mean, I mean that's that that's kind of an adjustment at this point in his career. I mean, he said that, but I mean that would probably be the better option. I mean, there's just a lot of options that you know are are really getting a lot of hits that I don't agree with. I mean, Bills. I mean, they got Ed Oliver. I mean, he maybe he could take that other spot. But I mean, you know, does he want to play in a four three? That's a huge question. And and Steelers, it, it just doesn't work with. I mean, you got Stephon Tewitt and Cameron Hayward. I mean, what 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 are you getting out of adding him? I mean, he's just. I, I understand that the Pittsburgh area really wants him, and you know, he could play with his brothers. But uh, ultimately, ultimately, I just don't see the fit happening. I think the Green Bay Packers are a good fit, and they have a 3-4 defense, the Packers do, and uh, I just think that he would fit right in as a 5 technique, and uh, uh, right next to somebody like Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry. I think that would be that would be great, because J.J. Watt went to Wisconsin, that was his college, and they, it would be great for him to to kind of end his career there. He's not the same player that he once was. You and I talked about it last week, um, but it, it's very interesting that he prefers Cleveland because that means he's going to go up against, you know, T.J. Watt twice a year, right? That, that would be something, T.J. and J.J. going up against each other in the in the AFC North. But I, I think the Green Bay Packers would be a perfect fit for him. I think they're close. I think they're looking to add a few more stars, a few more difference makers on defense. I think J.J. Watt and Green Bay would be a perfect fit. Cleveland is close. I mean, they went to the playoffs. And I think J.J. is, the one thing that he does is he's very he's a very versatile player. He played in a 3-4, but I think he played in a 4-3 as well as a defensive end. Look at his sack numbers out there. I mean, when when it was third down, he was getting after the quarterback. He was going after that strip sack. He was going after that fumble. It doesn't matter. 3-4, 4-3, I could care less about the scheme. I would want to add J.J. Watt for a year or two because I know that I'm getting a great guy on the football field and in the locker room. Can't go wrong with that, in my opinion. Thank you for listening to another episode of Blitzcast. Take care, everyone.